So welcome to this episode of Learn Me Right in Health Law and Bioethics. Today we are speaking with Dr. Julia Duffy about Britney Spears <laughs> and the conservatorship. Julia, could you just give us a bit of an overview about your role here at QUT and what you studied in your PhD? Yeah, I'm a special academic and I'm about to be appointed as a research fellow at the Australian Centre for Health Law Research. I'm doing work with one of the associate professors here on supporting people with cognitive disability to make their own decisions and lead independent lives. And that relates to my PhD topic, which was about the indivisibility of human rights and decision-making by, for and with people with cognitive disabilities. So it was about how do you make decisions with and sometimes when you have to for them in a way that still upholds their human rights. And I looked at the importance of socioeconomic rights for people with disability because disproportionately they are disadvantaged socioeconomically and um, their impairment can, uh, it's a bit of a cycle that can add to that um, disadvantage because of employment opportunities or non-employment opportunities and increased healthcare needs. So I looked at sort of different concepts of equality and also personhood. Wow. And uh, thank you. I read some of it and it was amazing. <laughs> thank <laughs> so you. Well done, Julia, because I know yeah. you've yeah, recently become a doctor, so that's very, very exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Say it again. <laughs> um, we have some rapid-fire questions. Sinead? Um, so first off, your pronouns? She, her. Um, what is your highlight of the year? Well, graduating from my PhD. Woo! Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> keep saying that. Yep. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, coffee order? Skinny iced latte. Okay. Yep. And what would you sing at karaoke? I've decided uh, respect Aretha Franklin. Oh, yes, I think so. I especially like that because it was written by Otis Redding from Mandersing and she turned around, like he came home from work and said, you know, I've been told what to do all day by the man and now you've got to give me respect but she's turned it around this feminist anthem so I think it's a really clever and also made it a hit so yep. yeah yeah great song. and we all love it great song. <laughs> yeah we do <laughs> so Julia could you please tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment and the research problem that you're currently interested in yeah, well, I think a, a lot of us heard in the popular media and even the mainstream media about Britney Spears being on what's called a conservatorship in California. And I previously worked at the office of the Public Guardian, ran that office for a couple of years in Brisbane. And as I said, my PhD research was on adult guardianship, which is like conservatorship in California. You come in and someone is given power to make decisions for another person who has impaired decision-making capacity through usually a cognitive disability. So um, I heard what was happening to Britney Spears and I thought, well, how can that happen? I don't think that would happen in Australia. You know, not that Australia's a human rights paradise at all, but I just thought, knowing how the system worked here, I thought it, it wouldn't even get close. So I started looking into it and I also thought that is this what all the confusion is about adult guardianship, that everyone thinks it's the system in California and that there is room for much more nuanced and less restrictive systems for people who are in crisis and or people who are, are, have really high and complex 
needs. And if someone doesn't make a decision for them, sometimes they're not unable to have other freedoms in their life or make their own decisions later. So I thought, you know, let's just take this out of the popular media and just see what's really happening here. So so that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at what, what would happen if Britney Spears had been living in Australia. Now, for those of us living under rocks, what was the context of Britney entering the conservatorship? Yeah, well, you must have been under a rock, Sinead, because it was, it was all out there. <laughs> I'm just saying it made this. Okay, yes. You're doing your PhD. Okay. Well, it's hard to tell what's fact and fiction, of course, but, you know, reputable publications like the New York Times, the New Yorker, and Forbes magazine have reported on Britney Spears, and US Senate subcommittees have talked about Britney Spears. So about 2007, she was in a child custody dispute with her ex, and it was widely reported she had her hair shaved off, and a few days later she was filmed attacking the car of a paparazzo with an umbrella. Um, She'd had 70 or 80 paparazzi following around California for days. She'd also been photographed in her car with her baby on her lap while she was driving and she'd almost dropped a baby in a cafe while the paparazzi just looked on and didn't help her but anyway so as the New York uh, New Yorker said it was these two incidents with the shaved head and the um, attacking the car that cemented her image as so-called crazy uh, in 2008 she refused to hand back one of the kids to her estranged husband's security guard at the end of a visit by the kid so police and ambulance were called, and I think the fire brigade too, and Miss Spears was placed under what is known as a 5150 hold in California. And um, a 5150 hold is sort of like the Mental Health Act in Queensland, which Sam Boyle talked about last time. So she was detained for 72 hours for assessment, evaluation and crisis intervention, um, which can happen at where as a result of a mental disorder, a person is a danger to others or to himself or herself or is gravely disabled. So we have that in Australia too, right? So that happened a couple of times. And the second time she seemed to be a bit disorganised. She was um, under the influence of illicit drugs probably. But what her father, Jamie, and her family were really concerned about was she had a new manager who they didn't trust and they thought was trying to rip her off and you know, it would be bad for a career and take all the money. So they thought she was under his influence. So he applied for a conservatorship, which gave him pretty quickly total control over all personal and financial decision-making. And um, they did it on a temporary basis at first, but it soon became permanent. They didn't tell her it was happening. The court waived all notice periods because they said, oh, it's going to be... If the new manager finds out, you know, all the money will be gone in, as soon as you know it. And so it happened very quickly and without her knowing until it happened. So, and then it stayed in place for uh, 13 years. So originally it was a, a crisis intervention, but um, the court soon made a finding that she didn't have capacity to appoint her own lawyer. So they appointed a lawyer for her with a panel of lawyers. And the problem was, because there are so many lawyers and courts involved over there, um, it's not in their interest. The conservators also get paid and the lawyers get paid. So as long as this lawyer has Britney Spears as a client, there's not much interest for him to to terminate the conservatorship. But not 
maligning him personally, but it's sort of how the system works. And people have said it's a bit of a money-making machine because they have professional conservators mm-hmm. and the lawyers get all their fees and everyone's costs at court, both sides' costs, can come out of Britney's estate, kept coming out of Britney's estate, mm-hmm. whether she brought an application or they did. So it's sort of um, really disempowering mm-hmm. for, for her in that situation in court. It's like quite a conflict of interest too, really. Yeah, yeah, there are, because one of the joint conservators at one stage was getting paid $450,000 a year to co-manage her finances. Mm-hmm. So he eventually resigned, or that company, but you wouldn't want to give that client up easily, would you? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. So just to clarify, Julia, so... As Australians listening um, and hearing about Britney's conservatorship, so that's a very specific word. What are the similar words in Australia to describe a situation where somebody might have somebody managing their affairs mm. on their behalf? It varies state to state, but on the whole, it's guardianship, adult guardianship for personal matters, which include can include health, accommodation, who you're in contact with, employment issues... Um, and administration is for financial matters. You can have the same person doing both, but but they are separate separate appointments. So that's what we have in Queensland. And um, I'll just in Queensland to get on a conservatorship guardianship, they have a capacity threshold, and to have legal capacity, you need to be able to. Um, understand the nature and effect of decisions about a particular matter. You have to be able to freely and voluntarily make the decisions and be able to communicate the decisions in some way. So that's the threshold for legal capacity. Children are deemed not to have legal capacity on the whole. And But there's a further test that there actually has to be a need for a decision to be made. So in Queensland, for instance, when aged people with dementia might be in hospital and the and the hospital decides it's not they're not well enough to go home again that it's time to go in an age some sort of support accommodation the nursing homes aged care homes will want a guardian appointed to sign off on that big financial agreement so um, but it'll just be for that if there's no more decisions to be made after a few months the guardian will usually opt out because that's the crisis and sort of the person can make decisions about their day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a need for an appointment. But So that's why I was a bit surprised that she had a conservatorship for 13 years. <laughs> She's actually out doing shows in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and, um, and you know... Do, I thought, well, if she's well enough to do shows in Las Vegas and make those sort of decisions, she's well enough to decide where she goes on vacation and get to get married and to have children and all the things and to decide her on her own health care. She was actually being forced to go to a, a therapist, as they call them in California, whose entry, entrance and exit was sort of on a public road so that, you know, again, 70 or 80 paparazzi would be there when she came out of the therapist. And she asked to go to her own choice of therapist in her own home and they, the father, the conservator, and then wouldn't, wouldn't let her. So mm. a lot of this is mm. illegal, like it's an abusive conservatorship, you know. Mm. That's really interesting, Julia. And 
I know I, I have limited experience, but when I was in Tasmania, I did do some guardianship and administration matters. Yeah. And I remember at one of the um, tribunal hearings, the, the tribunal really emphasised that if there's an informal arrangement that's working well and there's not a need for a guardian to be formally appointed, then they won't. They try and take that least restrictive approach. But it sounds like that's definitely not the situation in Brittany's case, that it was every single decision, no matter how big or small, was being dictated by somebody else, which must be incredibly um, disempowering. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had that positive experience in the tribunal because certainly the legislation in Queensland, and Queensland Victoria got the most recent legislation, um, mandates that approach. Um, interestingly enough, when I looked at the California law, it mandates that too in a way. But it just seems to be ignored. Mm-hmm. First of all, it says that, um, you know, you can just make limited appointments just for accommodation or just for health care or just for finances. Um, it says you can limit finances to certain transactions. You can limit the medical to certain forms of medical treatment. Um, and it, it mandates the least restrictive approach, mm-hmm. which, as you say, means... Is there any other way to support Brittany to make decisions before you even decide conservatorship? Mm-hmm. But once you get on conservatorship, how do we limit the powers that are given away as much as possible? Mm-hmm. But the commentary that I've found all says that the courts just don't... Um, they'll just do what the petitioners ask. The petitioners make a petition, and then there's a court investigator who's a officer of the court, and they do an investigation, interview people review the petition and I believe they make a recommendation they're all confidential I haven't seen one but the commentary says that the courts just always follow the recommendations so yeah because from my understanding the definition of legal capacity is subject specific so I remember the example being given to us in law school being you pretty much most people always have the decision capacity to decide whether or not to have a cup of coffee. Yes. But that doesn't mean you have the same capacity to then go and sell a $500,000 property yes. or $100,000 yes. or for, for whatever you see fit. So I think it's very interesting that the courts are completely ignoring that. Well, in California they are, California. yeah. And so, it's not, so we're it's, lucky here. <laughs> not lucky, so. it's, it's, it's the, it's the yeah. justice it system here. It says capacity for a matter here. Whereas yes. over there, they don't even have a capacity threshold for conservatorship. For a personal conservatorship, it's you're unable to provide properly for your personal needs for physical health, food, clothing or shelter. And then for health, there's a capacity test. But And then for finances, you're substantially unable to manage his or her financial resources or resist fraud or undue influence. So this was the manager with the undue influence. And then once you've got a conservator of the state, then you're deemed not to have capacity to enter into financial transactions. So it, so the law is all the wrong way around. And then it has these least restrictive mandates, but they're just not used to crafting things that way. And because it's... Ex- culture. Yeah. And because it's expensive to go back to court, I read the other day, the courts um, tend to do a wide order so the conservator doesn't have to come back. It's the wrong starting point and the wrong culture. Because yes. it's quite expensive to come back. It seems that the, that this sort of decision-making process is in the best interest of the court, not the best interest of the person. Yeah, well, the other thing I read was that they have all these sort of um, procedural protections that they've brought in over the years, and this legislation is passed 
by the legislature, by the parliament in California, subject to the appropriation of funding, which we just don't have here. So my understanding is if new measures come up and they're not funded or not uh, mandated to be funded on passage, that the courts don't have to implement those new processes. But anyway, this whole system's underfunded, and that's why I think they have a very, you know, go with what the investigator says, have the broadest possible so people don't have to come back. Um, there's a lot of commentary that they don't really do what, what, what they're mandated to do or supposed to do under the, um, the legislation. So in part this was broad conservatorship because of the legislation, and then the way it was carried out was probably unlawful and abusive, and I think she's got lots of lawsuits at the moment against her conservators. Mm -hmm. So you know Excellent. she can afford to have shot. Excellent, <laughs> Brittany. Yeah, um, Julia, I have a question because mm. it sounds like the way our law is structured or our legislation is structured mm -hmm. is better for the person who might be subject mm. to this kind of order mm. than you've explained mm. um, in, ca in California. But I know that there has been some criticism in the media about how the public trustee in Queensland and in Tasmania have actually, in effect, been carrying out their role. Um, do you think that there are any problems in Australia, similar to what we've seen with Brittany, that you wanted to mention? Yeah, well, the crux with Brittany in the end was, as one of her co-conservatives said lately, Brittany wanted, for instance, to go to holidays to Maui, and she said, look, you know, I'm OK with holidays to Maui, but... If your father doesn't come up with the money, if the person who's administering or conservator of the funds doesn't come up with the money, that's where the stranglehold is. So it's sort of a weird splitting, you know, decisions about the person, decisions about the estate, but they've got to agree when it's the expenditure of money. So the public trustee, as you say, they're a um, government entity in every different state in Australia, and they were originally set up sort of almost 19th century maybe, is a protective office for people, uh, vulnerable people. Um, since then, they've got wider commercial uh, mandates as well, but they still um, have a, a, a certain um, role in managing and being administrator for people with um, found to have, not have capacity under the, the tribunal. So once they're appointed, there is... They've got a lot of power and people have been complaining for years about their fees because they do charge fees out of um, not just their commercial clients but out of these um, uh, tribunal clients, right? And the public abbot in Queensland a couple of years ago did do a report on this. She got a forensic accountant out and what she told me at the time, I haven't had a chance to read her report, was that, for instance, they'd do an internal referral in the public trustee to their legal section and they charge a referral fee to the, you know, so they, their fees were doubling up a bit, she thought. The problem with fees are sometimes people would have assets, they'd have houses, and the fees would eventually erode the assets so much that they would, the public trustee would say, oh, well, we need to sell your house to fund your, um, your living expenses, right? So they'd mm -hmm. have power to do that. So people get in a double bind, um, so and they're really well known for doing that. There are protections around that, but um, as um, as you said the other week, that came up in a Four Corners episode. And the trouble with these episodes is 
you know, you never know what the total facts were, but it was a really bad case. And I, of a man called Chris, who he had a sort of a alcohol-induced dementia, was what they said. He had a hard time. And at that time, there was obviously some sort of crisis and it was probably a situation, like I said, he was in hospital. And then, according to the episode, and the public guardian was under confidentiality so couldn't respond to this, without him being explained to what happened, he got put in an aged care home by the public guardian. The public guardian is the guardian, the government office, who will become your guardian if you've got no family or friends, if you're really quite isolated. And then once he was in the, the aged care residence against his will, the public trustee was administrator. They paid all the aged care fees, which would have been expensive, especially because he had a house still. And they were supposed to be looking after his house, and his house was just a mess and charging maintenance fees. So this is all, this is all the ABC. They can sue the ABC if it's defamatory. I don't have any inside knowledge of this. The good thing was in that case... You know, too late for Chris in lots of ways, but they did go to the tribunal. He got friends around him. Friends went to the tribunal, had to lend him money for the application. The good thing in Australia, because the public trustee wouldn't give him any money for the application, so that's where the, that's where the bind is, right? But anyway, it's less costly here because it's a tribunal system. It's much less costly. You're allowed to have a lawyer, but the other side has to get permission for a lawyer. So... The difference is, too, if you get in a situation like Brittany's, it's actually much easier, more accessible. The tribunal's much more accessible to get you out of it because you don't have all these legal fees. Um, in the Act, it says you can have a lawyer if you've got impaired capacity, but for other people, they have to um, pay for their own. They have to have permission to have them, and you don't have to pay the, for the cost of their lawyers. So it's a lot more accessible, and he did get an order revoking the guardianship and the financial administration order, they said on TV. And they said, coming out of there, oh, yes, they decided he had supports around him to make his own decisions. So it doesn't undo what appeared to be a lot of damage for him if he had a, you know... And you have to really... I guess you wanted me to say what what can, you know, non-lawyers, people in the street, (laughs) get out of what I'm saying? And I think in... Queensland is be informed about those situations. Don't sort of hear about Brittany and think that, you know, that would automatically happen to you in Australia. And um, it is complex. It's it's a complex area of law, you know, decision-making capacity, capacity to make some decisions but not others. What does that mean? If you've got an order in place, people think, you know, that they need an order for everything. Um, third parties are worried about commercial certainty. But um, for health decisions, you don't even need to get a guardian. There's a, a list of people in the Powers of Attorney Act so that if you're unconscious and someone needs a decision, I think your spouse or de facto is the first person who makes a decision, or maybe it's your carer, actually. And then it goes down in a sort of default list of people who are sort of probably closest to you. So you don't need a guardian if it's just health decisions. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go through that process. And um, just not to fall into those old stereotypes that if someone has a disability, particularly a cognitive disability, that they don't understand things, that they can't be independent, that they don't have rights. 
and that they automatically need someone to look look after them or make decisions for them because it's very um, disempowering for them mm. and, you know, it, it can be hard work, I think, for carers and support workers in the short term but really pays off for everyone in the long term. Mm. And... Um, you know, the problem with all of these public institutions, in Australia they're not funded as well as they could be either. But there has been a bit more history, I think, of funding these institutions. And we don't have private conservators here who actually get paid to be conservators. Like some people in America have like 34 files, 34 people they're conservators for. And, of course, they've got no interest in getting off the conservatorship because that's their way of making money, that's their job. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that sort of public welfare institutions, even though welfare sounds patronising, um, that we all benefit from through Medicare, for instance, you know, we're a bit more used to accepting those as actually rights empowering. Yeah. So, Would you yeah. also agree that there, um, in Australia there's a move from substitute decision-making schemes where someone comes in and replaces you as a decision-maker to a supported decision-making scheme where if Brittany was to be in Australia, the first step would not be to remove or yeah. her from the from the decision-making room, but to help support her to get her yeah. best wishes and best wishes across in the decision. Yeah, definitely. That's what we... The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities prescribes what Sinead said, supported decision-making, as the default position for people with cognitive disabilities. And I should say that America has been promoting supported decision-making too, but I think it's in a bit of a different way from us. Um, they really promote entering into agreements for support decision-making. And I think sort of because conservatorship is so um, intrusive over there, um, really there's more of an anti... Well, anyway, it's, it's different over there. But in California, I should say, too, there's a bill in Parliament, because of Brittany now, advocating which provides for supported decision-making as a first stop in California. And many states in America, more than 18 states, have brought that in. Wow. But what it's really good. But yeah. what worries me is in those sort of situations where people still do, and most people agree that sometimes you do need... Age dementia is one yes. where it's sort of, unfortunately, in the later stages, inevitably degenerative, um, that the conservatorship system there, once you're in it, is still so unwieldy. Yes. So, But they are, you know, definitely in Australia, it needs more funding because, yeah. it's, as I said, it's hard work and time-consuming supporting people to make decisions. But it is. The La Trobe Disability Research Centre, who I'm working with, with um, the professor here, um, they, for instance, have um, just done work with the public trustee on teaching them how to support their clients, to work with them to support decisions within the trustee relationship so that even though they might be signing off legally, they're actually doing what the clients say. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the goal, so mm-hmm. we'll see. But... The government seems to be up to four corners to doing something about or talking about doing something about those fees and charges, you know, so yeah, that's, that's really important. For me, it's just yeah. incredibly frustrating the low criteria for which she was entered into a conservatorship. Mm. That is what's most concerning mm. for me. Yeah. Think, mm. Sorry, you go. I was going to say, I think the problem with Brittany's case too, unfortunately, is the case with a lot of people with um, 
well, I don't know that Brittany did have impaired capacity, but people with disabilities is that they are in uh, situationally vulnerable. And I think she probably, she was a child star who was trying to please everyone and she probably was easily influenced by a, a disreputable manager, if, if not this one, someone else. But she was also uneasily oppressed or easily oppressed by her father, you know. Mm. So she, to have her father as a support for decision making, mm. I don't know that he would have, he would have still bossed around and told her what to do. So she mm. was sort of um, between rocks and hard places. But mm. certainly the conservatorship gave him a lot of sort of legal authority yes that he wouldn't have had otherwise yeah yes. and maybe he should have just let her lose a few million dollars you know like yeah. you know yes and sort of you know she would have she yeah. was very capable and competent and just um, because you have legal capacity does not mean you're going to make good decisions yeah you are free to make poor decisions yeah. but that doesn't mean that you know you don't have capacity yeah and she had an incredible amount of money, but she always had a lot of earning power to, to earn it back, too. She ended up at the end of the conservatorship with $59 million. Mm-hmm. I know, but, um, you know, I don't think she was happy. So there you go. Yeah. 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 In good news, I do hear that she's expecting a baby. Yep. Yes, which I know. Which she couldn't have on the conservatorship, so that's exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did, feel, I did feel happy for it. Yeah. That she's having a baby at 40. Yeah. yeah. With quite apparent ease. Yeah, because yeah. that was one thing she said, they wouldn't let her have her IED removed. Yeah. And I don't know to what extent that's legal. I think that, well, she would have had capacity, decision-making capacity on how to have children, whether to have children or not. That's a really low threshold. So that's illegal. Yeah. Yes, there seems to be a very significant abuse of power yeah. of her. Um, and, you know, as a woman, to have your reproductive rights yeah. cancelled yeah. because someone else, you know, thinks that you don't have financial decision-making capacity to me, that's just incredibly atrocious, mm. and I am so happy for women in Australia and other people who have children that you know that's significantly less likely to occur because of our improved guardianship making laws. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <sighs> Big topic, and we might have to do a, a round two when we see some of these legal cases about the abuse of conservatorship mm. going to the courts because that could be really yeah, analyze to do a those cases. <laughs> Okay, we'll be watching uh, Time Out magazine and Variety. (laughs) Thank you so, so much, Julia, for your time. This was such an interesting episode and um, a topic that I think a lot of people will have heard about. Mm. They haven't been living under a rock, as Jeanette said. (laughs) So thank you so much. It was fascinating. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye.